So much of modern motherhood is spent wishing we were doing better, whether we're comparing ourselves to other moms or to the ideal mom we assumed we'd be before we had kids. But this wishing takes us further and further away from joy, and it stops us from being the mom we want to be. I'm Rebecca Brownwright, and I'm here to help you focus on connection, because connecting more deeply with yourself and with your kids will help you forget about mom comparisons. Connection will help you resolve behavior issues with your kids, and connection will help you live a life full of real joy, because that's what you and your kids deserve. Pause and connect with me for a moment to listen to discussions about connection and motherhood, finding your purpose, smashing cultural narratives, and so much more. This is Pause and Connect. Hi friends, I have a special guest with me here today and I'm going to introduce her in a minute, but I wanted to just really quick hop in and say that the subject today is about preventing sexual abuse of children. And so it's a heavy subject. It's a very empowering conversation with um, things that you can do to prevent it in your family and in other people's families. So it's very well worth the listen, but just be mindful of whose ears are around you when you're listening and be mindful of your own heart and listen to the end. There's going to be a code that you can use to get some material sent to you to help you with uh, preventing sexual abuse in children. So really great episode, really great guest, and I will introduce her right now. Welcome back to Pause and Connect. I have a special guest with me here today. Adrienne Simeone is the founder and executive director of the nonprofit organization, The Mama Bear Effect. Since 2012, she has volunteered her time to build down-to-earth resources to help parents and caregivers understand the issues of child sexual abuse and embrace positive ways to protect and empower children. In 2018, she was honored as an unsung hero heroine at the Massachusetts State House, and she works with advocates and organizations around the world to improve access to, to abuse prevention education. And I'm just so excited to have her here with me today. Adrian, say hello. Rebecca, thank you so much for having me and welcoming to uh, the Pause and Connect podcast. I'm really excited about this topic, so I can't wait to jump in. Great. Thank you so much. Well, why don't you start by telling us about yourself, Mama Bear Effect, what got you into this work of child sexual abuse prevention? Yeah, so I feel like I kind of, I, I took a different path than a lot of people um, in this field. A lot of people who do this work are survivors, and I myself am a survivor, but I kind of feel like I did that despite what happened to me. Mm. Um, I uh, went to school for you know, marketing and entrepreneurship, and I was in, in the you know, sales um, industry. And then I took some time off when I had my first child in um, 2009. And I wasn't really doing much, but I, I always you know, internally had a feeling like I needed to find a purpose with my life, something that I could you know, dedicate myself to and, and give back. And just one night I was reading, you know, through some news articles and there was this story about a child pornography ring that had been busted. Hmm. And I was like, Oh, you know, this looks interesting, you know, like crime stories. I wonder how they got these people. And just the details that they put in this story just really broke me. And I, it kind of put me, you know, at a crossroads of, do I, do something about this or do I just kind of get over it and move on with my life and process these feelings? And so, um, I talked with my mother and my husband and I was like, you know, I feel like I need to do something about this. And as I, as I did more research, it, it was really eye opening to find out how prevalent child sexual abuse is in our society and also how little is really being done to educate the public. So, I just kept digging and trying to find organizations and I, I really couldn't find a resource that would provide me as a parent or anyone with the resources and the information that they needed to help protect their children. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of made it my mission to collaborate and organize all the information I could find into one place. And also, you know, it kind of started as a social media project. I shared abuse prevention tips on our Mama Bear Effect Facebook page. But pretty quickly, people were like, how can I spread this in my community? What can I do um, to, you know, be part of this organization? And so from there, I was like, okay, we need to take this up a notch. And we created a nonprofit. So within, within three months of launching Mama Bear Effect is basically a social media project, it turned into a nonprofit organization. So awesome. 
yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, and for me personally, it, it actually, despite me not wanting to do this because I didn't want to really face what happened to me as a kid and think about it day in and day out, it's actually helped me heal. So yeah. So that was like a nice, you know, a pleasant surprise to get out of it. Cause here I was concerned I'd be, you know, triggered or feeling shamed, but you know, having to think about it all the time and actually it's helped me heal a lot more than I ever thought I could. So that's been a great part. That is incredible. And, and I think it's so incredible that I, I think a lot of us read those statistics and we, we feel those same feelings you felt like, do I, do I do something with this or do I just go back to living my life? And it's remarkable that you've built this thing, especially with the trauma that, that you have and, and the fear of having to face that it's remarkable that you've gone forward and created such a valuable resource for families. Yeah. I've, I've learned with all the advocates, you know, that we work with, it's, it's so healing to do this work because you're taking something that you weren't really in control of, and now you have control of a situation and you're helping other people. So I think that's really what a lot of people have found in this kind of work as well. That makes so much sense. Oh, that's just, that's beautiful that it's healing. You're preventing it for so many families. And then you're also healing as you're, as you're going through that. That's beautiful. Um, well, I wanted to ask for you to share with my audience how we can protect our children. Um, one thing I, I think that this is talked about a lot, like let's protect our children from, from sexual abuse. And so we have some good strategies in place. I think like a lot of parents have, um, you know, like little, little bits that they've gathered here and little bits that they've gathered there. But I, I'm assuming that we're, we're all missing a lot of information and we have holes in what we understand. So what's the most important thing that you want parents to know about how to protect their children from, from sexual abuse? Well, and I, I think especially for children, for your audience of tweens and teens, older kids, I feel like a lot of the focus is on protecting children who are, you know, pre-puberty. And a mm -hmm. lot of that is just giving them the tools to, you know, know what the na proper names of their private parts are and what, what it means to have privacy. But then it seems like um, the conversations kind of dwindle down as kids get older, that there's this sense that well, kids understand that kids know that this is wrong. And so um, we kind of, as a society, I think put more responsibility on older kids to um, defend themselves. Mm -hmm. And we kind of forget um, that they're still children. You know, they have a lot of growing to do. And just being in that age, I think is, is a new level of vulnerability. And they, they also too are kind of a target for a new type of predator because a lot of people think of child sexual abusers as pedophiles. And a pedophile is someone who is specifically attracted to prepubescent children. But the reality is, is that there are a lot of predators out there who specifically target children who are going through puberty or who are post-puberty because they have sexually matured. So they're still a child, but that predator sees them as a sexually mature human being. And so that becomes the attraction to them. So I think it's really important for, you know, everyone that works with kids or has kids, cares for kids to consider the risk of um, sexual abuse with teens. And um, that one of the statistics that I came across recently um, is that when it comes to the percent of children and actually of all throughout, a, throughout adulthood, that the highest risk of abuse for especially girls is between the age of 12 to 15. That is the mm. highest percentage of sexual assault um, oh in society. Wow. Like, did, can you, would you have imagined that? You know? It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. That's yeah. That's where my daughter is right now. I just can't even hear that statistic without making it personal. Right. Absolutely. And I feel like sometimes we, as people, when we hear that it's so triggering that we kind of shut down a little bit and so we true. build up, we build up walls of, okay, how, cause how can I excuse myself from this statistic? And it's yeah. like, okay, well, my family's a good family. That wouldn't happen in my family or my child is a good kid. They're mature. They wouldn't, you know what I mean? They wouldn't be in a position where these kinds of things would happen. Um, and I think those kinds of mentalities can increase risk because we're kind of convincing ourselves that it doesn't apply to us. 
mm-hmm. burying our heads in the sand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's really one of the biggest challenges I, th- I think we have in terms of this issue is that it's so huge. It's so upsetting to realize what's happening that it takes a lot of courage to really face it because um, I'm sure you and a lot of your followers are familiar with Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. She's I like my her. fairy godmother, you know, and it's yes, like, she goodness. says, you know, like vulnerability is where change happens. So it's like mm-hmm. when we accept the vulnerability in our lives, that we are vulnerable, that's where we have to build from because we're really not going to be able to protect our kids or do effective things to keep them safe. If we're not willing to accept that vulnerability. Oh, that, I just want to sit with that for a minute. That's really hitting me strong. Like that applies to so many things, like allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and understand the risks that are there and that, that we are vulnerable. We, we are not, um, as whatever shields we have up, we, we still are vulnerable. Um, so yeah. What do you do with that knowledge that you know that you're vulnerable? Right. Yeah. So I think it, you know, once we can kind of like come to a place of acceptance, then we can kind of think about strategies, you know? And so you had uh, mentioned, you know, about uh, in the email about, you know, what are some of like the important things I feel that people are missing? Mm -hmm. Um, So often a lot of the abuse prevention tips out there focus on talking to our kids, you know, so for this age, talking to kids about social media, talking to kids about healthy relationships with their peers and, and whatnot. But there are also conversations we should be having with other adults. Oh, because people talk about that at all. Thank you. Right. Right. There's, there is a woman, Feather Burkhauer. She does um, parenting safe children. She does. She's doing them online now since uh, the pandemic, but that is her big focus is teaching or giving us the skills and the practice to have these hard conversations with other adults. Because if we think about the fact that, you know, over 90% of cases of child sexual abuse, the the perpetrator was someone known to the child and to the family, that means we likely know who is is going to commit abuse. You know, we don't know who it is, but we know this person before it actually happens. So- if we have conversations and we raise awareness to the fact that this is an issue that's important to us, we can, it's kind of like having a police car parked out in the front of your house, you know, or having one of those like security signs out there. This is a, this is a family that is aware and we're actively protecting our kids. So what tips do you have for families who maybe haven't done this yet, or maybe they do it a little bit and they want to improve? How do we talk to the adults? Right. One of the, I mean, like if they're listening to this podcast, say, you know what, I'm, I was listening to pause and connect. I think you should listen to this podcast because it's a great, it, they had a topic. It was really kind of eye opening to me. And it was something that I hadn't thought about, or maybe it's something they do think about, but you know, for me as a parent and as a human being, like the information that I've learned in our work, if I just took it for myself and I didn't share it with anybody, I didn't have these uncomfortable conversations what if something happened to a child that was a family friend or my niece or my nephew, and I could have helped prevent that, but I was uncomfortable having that conversation. So I think that's the kind of motivation I I encouraged on others. We want to make sure that everyone is aware of this issue and doing what they can, because we don't want to feel like, oh my gosh, I was too uncomfortable. And I, I never said anything when I should have. So, you know, definitely, you know, using this podcast, Um, like on our website, we will ship out like our brochures to people at no charge. We have like a trifold brochure. So if someone says, you know what, I, I follow this organization or I support this organization, here's a brochure to learn about it. Sometimes having something to hand to someone can just kind of make it a a down to earth, like no pressure kind of conversation. But I mean, you know, especially, you know, with our kids, if we're letting them go over to someone's house for a play date or a sleepover, or, you know, having conversations with those parents to kind of get a sense of what their parenting is to see where their values are and do they align with ours? Um, You know, asking them, you know, you know, what are their rules about letting them have access to the internet or what kind of TV shows, you know, do they have parental settings on that kind of stuff? Because, 
especially when we think about exposure to pornography or, you know, um, talking to people on the internet, there are a lot of things that can put kids at risk. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it can be uncomfortable, but it's important to have those kinds of conversations. Yeah. And as you're saying this, I'm thinking one, uh, maybe less uncomfortable way to, to practice doing this is to use social media, to, share this type of information and then you kind of get used to using the words. And so then you can also share that in person with somebody, but also we're kind of creating a bigger conversation. So people are ready to have that conversation. Yes, absolutely. I've, I've had people say to me, you know, I, I shared this post and someone, you know, might even say to them, thank you so much for sharing this. It happened to me as a kid and oh my gosh, it means so much to me that someone is sharing prevention education. You know, it's amazing, you know, because it's one of those things people are really quiet about it. But once we start these conversations, it allows people to open up about, you know, their side of the story. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I'm thinking about, um, I have a niece who has two little kids and she she's often sharing these kinds of tips for little kids about, um, you know, using correct body language, body terms, um, thing, things like that. She's often sharing that. And I just think she's doing a good job because I think she's the, she's the first one in her family to have children. And so she's already creating this really great um, dialogue among all of her family by doing, by sharing that on social media all the time. So I, I imagine, and I haven't asked her, but I imagine that it's easier to talk about it within her family because she's doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Social media, just kind of you kind of put it out there and you let people, you know, digest it however they want. Um, but I also before I forget too, you know, in terms of, you know, teens and tweens, the other things we have to consider too, you know, is like if they're on sports teams or they're starting a new job, something like that, there is risk for abuse either by a coach or by a peer. So it's important to have conversations with these groups about what are their policies? Like how do they train the staff that work with the kids? Um, what kind of rules do they lay out for these kids? Because when you hear these stories about, you know, um, they, they have a sports team and, you know, they're initiating team members and, you know, there's like sexual abuse involved and that's mm -hmm. part of the hazing rituals. And it's like, why is this still happening in this day and age? You know, right. that's really good advice. I can see, how that it would actually, can you tell me how, how could you have that conversation with a coach or an organization? And then how could you do that with where your child's going to work or volunteer? Mm -hmm. That one's I mean, a little harder for me. I always, I mean, you could literally like search internet store, like news articles and find a news article and use that as an, an opportunity to have this conversation. Say, you know what? Mm -hmm. I came across this news article and oh my gosh, I just want to make sure that your organization is doing what they can to make sure that this doesn't happen. Um, because the reality is they all know that these stories are out there, but I think it's again, that mentality of that's an isolated situation. It's not gonna happen here. Mm -hmm. Well, the only way we can really be sure or be more confident it's not gonna happen is if they're taking the right steps. That's right. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And especially too with, you know, when, when kids are on jobs, mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, every job is supposed to have, you know, a sexual harassment, um, you know, reporter. Mm -hmm. And so if you, even if your child is working at an ice cream shop or McDonald's, talk to them about sexual harassment policies, because we know kids at this age, they're so vulnerable, they're really not able to speak up for themselves. Um, so when we, we, as their protectors, we're really the ones that should be responsible of talking to the manager saying, excuse me, I'd like to see your sexual harassment policy, because under all the laws, they should have them. They should be providing them to their employees and, you know, letting them know who they can report to if something ever happens. How can a teenager speak up for themselves, especially at, at work? You know, because if someone comes in, how, how do they determine if it's flirting or if it's crossing a line? Right. I know it, it, it can be hard. And I think even as adults, we don't always necessarily yeah. have the answer to that. Right. But I think, you know, we as parents, we also have to be having these conversations with our kids because I think as time goes on, little stories will come out, you know, and they'll say so-and-so did this, was that, you know, what was that? Or, you know, especially when our kids get older, we should have these frank conversations with them. And if you see a news story where, you know, or you hear, you had a story from your youth where, you know, someone was snapping girls bras or something like that at school, have those conversations with them. You know, our daughters and our sons, 
so mm -hmm. that they can be kind of have their ears and eyes open to, you know, what's going on around them. And how do we make it um, something they want to talk to us about and not just roll their eyes like, oh, you're making this into a big deal, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. For me, it's like I try to just be as down to earth as I can with my kids. I don't make it like a, you have to do things this way. I try not to be judgmental, you know, mm -hmm. try to be open minded about it. Um, and the other thing that I think is a great thing, too, is when kids are of this age, if they have um, like an older sibling or a cousin or an aunt or an uncle or someone like that who's younger than us, but is a responsible person that they can also kind of bounce off with and have these kinds of conversations, I think that's totally, it's so, it's invaluable. It's just a great blessing if a kid can have another older person in their life who is, you know, a positive role model for them in that way. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Um, what can you summarize about younger kids? We've been talking about teens, which I think is so great. And what, what out there, what, what's your biggest takeaways for younger kids now? For younger kids, I think the important thing is to really build body safety education and sexual abuse prevention as kind of a family culture, mm -hmm. that it's not really just these talks that we have with our kids. It's also how we raise them and, all, and the, the examples that we set in our daily lives, whether it's our relationships with our kids, our relationships with other people, um, you know, especially when the holidays are coming, you know, and you think about forcing kids to hug relatives that they don't really know. And, and what is that message really saying to kids if we're telling them their body really isn't something they are in control of? You know, I think mm -hmm. holidays are a great time to remind kids that, no, you don't have to hug someone that you're not comfortable with. A high five or a fist bump or a wave hello is okay, you know? Um, and just building up, you know, slowly over time conversations about privacy and, and really connecting with them um, in a way where they feel respected by us. Mm -hmm. um, because ultimately, a family could teach their kid everything they need to know about body safety and sexual abuse. But if that child doesn't really feel valued or connected and, and protected by their adult, they might not say anything at all. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's actually everything we're about here at Pause and Connect is about we can't teach our kids every single thing they need to know. We can do our very, very best, but we can't cover every single thing. But if we're maintaining those connections in every area, then, then we can help them when challenges come up. And so with a challenge like this, they'll feel safer to come and talk to us. Yeah. I think a lot of times people feel like if something happened to my child, if my child was sexually abused, I failed them. Mm -hmm. But the reality is again, that, that vulnerability that we cannot 100% protect our kids, but our best bet is that if it ever does happen, we can stop it from happening sooner so that their healing can start sooner. Yes. Yes. How do you handle that as a parent? If something does happen, what do you do to overcome that? What you just expressed that sorrow and that, that guilt. Yeah. I mean, there's just, I mean, it really depends on the situation and how, you know, how it affected the child, how long it was going on, who the perpetrator was and, you know, what the consequences are going to be for, you know, that situation. Is this something that's going to need to be reported to the police or, you know, is it, did it involve another child and, you know, you need to have counseling involved. Um, ultimately, you know, I think a lot of times so much of the, the work is focused on the child, getting them into therapy and, and what does the child need that parents too have been victimized in those situations. Mm. And the child's greatest source of resilience is us. Mm -hmm. It's their relationship with us. And mm -hmm. so we really need to make sure that we're taking our care of ourselves too, so that we can help them be part of their healing process. I love that. Um, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but I wanted to go back to what you were saying about, you know, the holidays are coming up and, and children are often told to give somebody a hug. How do we handle adults who don't believe the way we believe and they get offended if their kid doesn't want to give them a hug? Yeah, this is, I feel like this is like one of the biggest questions that we get because there's no perfect answer. 
You mm-hmm. know, some, some people have family, they get belligerent when we tell them, I'm sorry, you know, they're not comfortable hugging. So, I mean, for, for me, it's like having a conversation with our kids beforehand about telling them who's coming over, you know, do you want to give this person a hug? Is there anyone coming over that makes you feel uncomfortable? And if there, if that's a yes, when that person does come over, keep your kids close by so mm-hmm. you can kind of be their guard, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, of course people can say, well, later on, he still picked my kid up or she still tickled them. And, you know, but to kind of keep close and be ready to intervene because it's, it's almost always going to be an uncomfortable conversation, but I think it's just, it's important to not necessarily be, you know, don't be angry about it, be calm and collected and explain I want my child to feel that they never have to be touched in a way that makes them uncomfortable. You know, um, my, I have four kids. And so when my mom comes over, my youngest isn't really into hugs and kisses. So she will hug and kiss my three older kids goodbye. And then she'll pat her on the back and say, okay, bye, honey. See you soon. And my daughter's totally fine. You know what I mean? Because as family, why would we want someone that we love a child that we love to be fearful of us and uncomfortable we would want them to feel excited to see us so we have to kind of put that into the mentality so you know if someone shares this podcast ahead of the holidays and kind of just plants that seed in someone's mind you know we can hopefully you know change their perspective of being one of, oh, well, I, I hug and kiss and that's what we do. And that's what you're going to get to being like, okay, well, you know what, maybe, maybe that's an old school way of thinking. And I can understand that it might not be seen as the same way for that child. Right. And I feel like this is a very child centered approach, which is really lovely. Like we're going to care about the child and we're going to, we're going to make things comfortable for the child because we care about them. And that's why, like you said, why would we want to force our way onto the child when that doesn't make them comfortable. Right. Exactly. I mean, they're the ones kids are learning how the world works and how they fit into the world. And so if they're getting a message of older people and people of authority have a right to do things to me that I'm not comfortable with, then you can see how that would carry over to an abusive situation of this person is authority figure. I don't have any right to say no to this because I'm a child. Right. Right. Which is devastating. Mm -hmm. Is there a protection in your child seeing you stand up for them? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think they need to see those situations because if we can't stand up for our child, then why would we ever think they would have the confidence to do that on their own? So true. I was thinking with the example that you were sharing where maybe you protect your child from the tickle when the, when the person arrives and then later you're not around and that person goes over and tickles them. I still imagine there was some, some, uh, building up of strength and courage for that child because their parents stepped in at least that first time, at least when they were in the same room and saw it happen, they were right there and, and stopped it from happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they need to know that we're on their side. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that can be a challenge, um, to interact with different generations and different, different cultures and different backgrounds within our families. But I think it's so important. It is, it is. And I mean, these people are, when we're doing this, we're really cycle breakers, you know, Mm. we're changing things and it's not comfortable. Change is never easy, especially for people who really aren't open to understanding it. Mm -hmm. That cycle breaker, like that is so important. And I think everyone has to be a cycle breaker because this is a cycle that has existed in our society until now, until people are finally speaking out about it. So it's, it's not that we came from a dysfunctional family necessarily. It's not that we have a traumatic background necessarily, but our entire society has been okay with children, um, not having bodily autonomy. And so all of us have to be these cycle breakers now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you have any tips for, for, for being strong and being that cycle breaker when it begins to wear you down? Yeah, I think for, for me, cause I mean, no one is perfect at this. And even though, you know, I started this organization and I've been doing this for, you know, I'm going on 10 years now, I still need 
confidence from other people, you know? So I feel like when I, when I see the comments from other people who, you know, um, respond to these articles and talk about what they did, or, you know, it gives me confidence to know I'm not the only person who's doing this because I feel like sometimes we feel like totally alone in those situations. So, you know, building up to it, when you follow, um, you know, pages like yours and other organizations and advocates who are saying, no, this is the right thing to do. I think it's, we're kind of, you know, forming a, uh, a tribe, you know, it's kind of like our positive parenting tribe. And so, you know, gearing up to that, talking to other people who have that same mindset, because in our hearts, we know it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be easy. Um, so we kind of have to prepare ourselves for that. And if and if we falter, that that's okay, we're going to pick ourselves back up. And we're going to, you know, take that and learn from it and, and prepare ourselves to do better for the next time. Yeah, it's definitely a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. One of your tips for parents of teens in your literature, I thought was so interesting. It's to promote positive examples regarding body image, gender equality, consent, and responsibility. Can you touch on each of those points and tell us why these are so important in this, in this work? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about the mindset of someone who perpetrates abuse against another, you know, against a child, whether it's an adult or a juvenile, Um, And I think it's important to mention at this point, as much as 40% of child sexual abuse is perpetrated by other juveniles. Oh, wow. And it's not just because they themselves were victims of sexual abuse. That's kind of more common in children like under age eight. But the spike of juvenile sexual offenders is right around puberty. That's when you see the greatest increase. Yes. So that's why it's so important that we talk about this because we're not only protecting our kids from sexual abuse, we're also needing to be taking steps to protect and empower our kids and other children from not perpetrating sexual abuse. Right. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's and and that's kind of like one of the things that we a lot of us don't think about. So when we think about vulnerability, we don't want sexual abuse to happen to our children. We really don't want our children to perpetrate sexual abuse. Right. Right. Oh, so, yeah, that like you kind of need a breather to just yeah, accept that, that. Feels worse in it a does. lot of ways. Yeah. It does cuz cuz you, you want to we want to hate sexual offenders. We want, you know, a lot of people like they just want them to die and rot in hell, which I totally understand that. But if someone says, well, anyone who commits sexual abuse against children should be shot in the head or whatever people say on the internet. And then I say, well, what about the 40% of those people who are children? Yeah. What do you say about those kids? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So for me, as, as raw and uncomfortable as this is, for me, this is a huge opportunity for positive change because Mm -hmm. these are children. They're not doing it because they're destined to be sexual offenders for the rest of their life. They're doing it because they lack education. They weren't taught about positive behaviors between other people and what's appropriate. They are being exposed to pornography at an early age. They are, you know, just um, dealing with puberty and they're not getting the support that they need to understand what their body's going through. And so when you kind of put all those things together, it's kind of like a perfect storm for inappropriate abusive behaviors to happen. So, you know, when we're talking about positive body image and respect and consent, what's missing in anyone's mind when they commit sexual abuse is that they're not thinking about the other person or they're, they're, they're reducing that person to an object. So if, if children are raised to, especially boys, if boys are raised to see women as lesser and that they, you know, it's okay to be disrespectful to women and and use, you know, vulgar language to refer to women. They're, they're not going to see sexual abuse of girls as such an issue. They're going to see it as something that they have a right to do, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and consent. There are so many ways we can promote consent with kids. It's not just sexual. It can be sharing toys or respecting someone's property or how we interact with their bodies, you know? And so 
that's a big thing, you know, in middle schools and high schools is that how kids interact with each other. Do schools take the steps needed to, to address those behaviors properly? And I have to say a lot of times, no, they don't. They kind of brush it off mm-hmm. um, unless someone really pushes back. Um, and I think a lot of times sexual abuse prevention is often um, kind of the mom's job. Dads don't always get as involved as they should be. We just did a research study this summer and we interviewed about 600 parents and the majority of the people who participated, women spent more time investing in learning about child sexual abuse prevention than men did. So when we think about the fact that yes, there are a lot of perpetrators who are female, but the majority of child sexual abuse is perpetrated by men we have to think also about the positive impact men can have on their sons and their daughters talking about this issue. Because mm-hmm. as, as a boy looking up to a man, it doesn't necessarily have to be his father or what, but when he has a positive male role model who says, who is teaching him about consent and respect and you know compassion, he realizes that's an important virtue for him to have as well. Yes. How do we bring more men into this work? I know I, I need to find them and just drag them over here. There are, I mean, there, there are a few organizations and, and there are male advocates out there. Um, I follow them on social media. Um, cause I think it's really important to share their voice. Cause I feel like there's a lot of discomfort from men about this issue. And I think it also, it's because a lot of sexual abuse is perpetrated by men. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I, I, I can't speak for all men, but I feel like there's an insecurity about it that they feel like they are being attacked just mm-hmm. because they're men. And, and, and I've had that, I've seen that issue happen on our own social media posts. Um, I tried to do a lot of work to raise awareness for male survivors and also female perpetrators of sexual abuse. I don't try to avoid those topics because I think it's really important. Um, but so it seems like whenever there's a focus of men speaking out, it's a lot of, well, it's not all men or, you know, Mm -hmm. there are good men out there. And it's like, I know there are good men out there. Please join us, learn, be an advocate, learn about this issue so that you can help protect the kids in your life. So we really need a stigma reducer here. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's okay to talk about this topic and you don't have to feel defensive. Um, Somehow that message needs to be out there more. Yeah. We want them to join us. And, and I feel kind of bad that we are the mama bear effect because, you know, I don't want them to think this is just for women or whatever. My husband is a very supportive, um, you know, advocate for this, which has kind of amazed me because, you know, he just works like in the food industry. But once I started mama bear effect, he's like talking about it to people all over the place. Like he's oh, so con- Yeah. <laughs> I'm like so confident. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're like more confident than I am sometimes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I need to get him to do some videos. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. But you know, I just feel like when, when we're raising our kids, yeah. <laughs> that if we really focus on those values, cause I feel like in the ages of middle school and, and high school, there's so much focus on get good grades, be a good teammate, do these things so that you can go to a good college. And it's such an egocentric time for kids Mm, that if we're always feeding those things as being important, the most important things, then they're not thinking what is really truly important as a human being. So true. I, that's another thing I just have to sit with for a minute. It really is a time of we're, we're making it all about them as parents. And, and so, yeah, how do we help them see beyond that? And, and like you said earlier, help them not see other humans as objects. How do we do that? Yeah, I know. And I I mean, it's hard because, um, you know, we want, we want them to do well in their own lives. And so I think, you know, it's important to just have these kinds of conversations with our kids, you know, whether it's, you know, people who have disabilities or, you know, the transgender community or, you know, people who have, you know, different sexual preferences, whatever it is, we can all agree that all human beings have a right to be treated with respect. No one has the right to hurt or insult someone else. Right. You know, so I think we really just have to kind of 
force ourselves to have these conversations, because especially when we, we think about children with disabilities, the risk of sexual abuse for a child who has a disability or is autistic, you know, Down syndrome is, is nearly 90%. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's astounding. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So we also have to think, you know, and that kind of abuse can be perpetrated by adults or, you know, other juveniles. So I feel like unless we have someone who has a disability in their life, that's, you know, in our family circle, we're probably not talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to talk about it because if we're not talking about it, then what are they going to, what, where are they going to get influenced by, you know, are they going to see their friends bullying someone at the mall because they look different and they're going to think, haha, that's funny. They do look different. I think it's really important to have conversations about, you know, all different kinds. I mean, there's so many YouTube videos from motivational speakers and, and people who are, you know, autistic or had down syndrome, whatever it is, you know, they were born without limbs there's so many great videos that we can be sharing with our kids. Mm -hmm. And then we can kind of have a conversation from that. Yeah. As you're saying this, I'm thinking of, of all different types of groups. Like I imagine LGBTQ kids are targeted more than, than others and maybe children of color are as well. And so I'm thinking um, that something that my listeners could do right now is as they're listening, they could, they could be thinking, well, I don't really know much about this community and they could go and just learn about that community and be better advocates for that community and better allies for whatever community it is. And let that become part of their family culture so that all of this is being discussed often in their home. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean that, and sometimes I feel like we struggle to have different kinds of conversations with our kids. Cause we're always talking about, okay, what homework do you have to do? Okay. We have to go to this practice and this and that, you know, and it's like, we're just focused on, you know, sometimes the daily grind of everything that we need to kind of just plan these things out ahead of time so that we can kind of have, you know, meaningful conversations. Yeah. And that's what I love about your material. You have, I know you have at least one book for children. Do you have more than that? I, I am in the process of finalizing our second book, which is going to be for, for older children to talk about um, secrets. But you're, right now we just have one children's book. Okay. And then you have great, great pamphlets and um, informational um, flyers and brochures for, for parents to have too. So I, I love that you have that all ready and available and easy to access for parents. Yeah, um, I think that was really our goal. We want to make sure that there's there's no reason why people can't learn about this issue. So everything that's in our pamphlets is also, it's really just a summary of everything that's on our website. So um, if you can't afford to, you know, order a pamphlet, which they're very reasonably priced, because our mission is really just to get it into the hands of people. But everything on the website is free and we have free downloads and coloring pages and book recommendations. So there's a lot of resources on there too. That's so great. So there's, there's so many jumping off points for parents to be able to learn about this and talk about this. That's great. Yes, absolutely. Um, I also wanted to ask you about how to keep your teens and your younger kids safe online. Um, you know, especially when your kids have a phone and they might be getting on apps and talking to people, how do we protect them? Yeah, it's, it's so hard. And we actually had an issue with this in our family um, this past week. And I had to, I had to take devices away and we're going to um, kind of reset and, you know, um, change our, change our privacy settings and stuff a little bit to address some issues that we had. Um, because it is, it is kind of like a minefield. Um, a lot of kids want to play on apps and you know, use social media apps that allow you to chat with strangers. Mm -hmm. um, some social media apps allow you to set parental restrictions, but others, you you can't set them in a way that your child can't change them. So it's it really, you know, there's no one perfect way to parent kids in the world of social media and smart devices. But um, I think the important thing is that whatever you feel is right for your family to, to stick by it, because <laughs> I can say as a parent, um, children are going to wear us down mm -hmm. as hard as they can. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because for them, it's all about the reward, you know, that dopamine hit of, 
you know, playing games or talking to friends and, you know, they're not thinking about their safety, but we have to, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, having conversations with our kids about what the risks are, um, online. Um, unfortunately, you know, having a child have a cell phone or an iPad, it really, that's really where stranger danger is nowadays. You know, people used to be afraid to let their kids walk down the street. I'm telling my kids, please go ride your bikes around the neighborhood. So true. (laughs) (laughs) My friends like, or my daughter's like, well, my friends, her mom won't let her ride her bike around the street, but she'll let her on the iPad for four hours. I wish she was my mom. And I'm like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so if, if you feel that your child is old enough to be able to be on social media um, and on games and have access to the internet, then we should also feel that they're old enough to talk about pornography. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, The reality is, is that children are being exposed to pornography at a younger and younger age. Like right now, there's like, I can't remember what percentage of children are already exposed to pornography by the age of nine. Oh my gosh. So, you know, that really affects them in so many ways, their ability to understand what a healthy relationship looks like, children who are being addicted to pornography. And, you know, the research is coming out that when children see stuff on pornography, they are performing those kinds of acts with other children, either Mm, somewhat consensually or against, you know, against their will. Um, And we all know pornography is not a representation of love or healthy sex. So if we parents don't feel that their kids are ready for, you know, talks about sex and pornography, then they're not ready for, Mm -hmm. for freedom on the internet. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how it's, it's really important to teach your children about body image and about consent and things like that, because, um, because body image is morphed in pornography as well. And, and what's, the behaviors are morphed in, in pornography. And so if they have a a better foundation of, of, of a variety of body image and accepting body image and accepting, um, uh, consensual love, then, then it hopefully won't affect them as much. That's what I'm hoping anyway, as I'm saying this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cause for me growing up, um, you know, coming across playboy magazines, I felt terrible about myself until mm-hmm. probably after I had kids, <laughs> after oh. I had kids. And it was like, I realized what my body was capable of and how awesome it was. I was like, man, I wasted, you know, 30 yeah. years of my life hating this body and not thinking it was good enough to now I'm like, I'm, you know, this body is amazing. Right. You know, I don't right. want, I don't want any kids go having to go through that, you know, through their whole life. Right. Right. There we are as cycle breakers again. Yeah. 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 And I, and also too, you know, the thing is now, you know, with stranger danger on the internet, I think even the most confident kids can fall into that. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to think that our kid is immune to this possibility, because even if they are confident, it doesn't stop someone from harassing them. It doesn't stop someone from sending them inappropriate material. And, you know, I think we have to think about, you know, the risk and, and having com- frequent conversations with our kids about this kind of stuff, because I will even, you know, if there's a news article that comes through about, you know, um, a new way of predators are luring children or, or things that are happening, I share that with my two older kids because I want them to see that this is a real issue. Because I think, especially for us as parents, when we talk about stuff, they're like, nah, that's just my mom being a mom, you mm-hmm. know? But when I show them an article and say, this was a real child and this is what happened to them, it kind of, it kind of makes it real for them. Yeah. That's really smart to educate them in that way. Um, and another thing about being online and being on social media and things is it's really fun. So when you said that even the most confident kid can, can be targeted or can get involved with, with somebody that they don't know, it's, it's because it's fun and we have to, we have to kind of understand that and accept that, that like their brains are primed to seek out these fun things and these fun connections and meeting a stranger online is really fun. So even if we've been teaching them all along that this isn't an appropriate thing to do, they could easily slip into that. Right. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's just so hard because I, I mean, as a parent, I've seen the range in which other parents, you know, allow their children to have access to the internet. There are people who have no clue that their kids have public accounts on TikTok and are making videos and have grown men following them, you know, mm. and then there are parents who are like, nope, you can text with your friends and that's it. You're not allowed on any of that kind of stuff, you know? And mm. honestly, I feel like whenever we've kind of like done a detox in our house from social media, not necessarily social media, just devices in general, our kids get along better, mm-hmm. they're happier, they, they want to play outside, but it's like when they have those devices in front of them all the time, they don't want to leave them, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I want our kids to have memories of their childhood of things that they did, not just hours that they spent on a device. Right. And as you're saying this and some of the things you said earlier, I'm, I'm thinking that this is something that we can talk openly with about our kids. We can say to them that we're happier without a device in front of our face all the time. And we can, we can ask them questions and, and help them understand how they feel and, and kind of make their own decisions here as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. I think it's really important for kids to feel heard. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I feel like so often, even, you know, us as kids or children nowadays, you know, if they get shot down, if we don't at least hear them and empathize with where they're coming from, um, I don't think anything we say has as much value because they're not feeling heard. Right. Right. Now, what can we do if we do find out our child has been talking to someone online? Is there a way to report that person? If we can tell it, it's an adult, um, if they've done something inappropriate, how can we, what steps can we take? Yeah. If, if something inappropriate has happened and honestly, a lot of, a lot of towns, you know, the police department will have like a safety officer and that person does a lot of, they usually do talks for parents about online safety or they'll do talks with kids. So, you know, if you have a a youth group or something like that, um, have a, have someone come in and do a talk about it. Um, because, the reality is, is that there's so much exploitation and inappropriate stuff that happens online that there are not enough resources to chase after everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, So unless um, it's like someone sending nude images to a child or they're luring, they're asking that child specifically to send nude images to them, or they're asking them to um, you know, sexually abuse their sibling, which has become an increasing occurrence that online predators are, they're blackmailing children online and telling them to take images of them sexually abusing a sibling or a younger child. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's what they're reporting is becoming increasingly popular, which is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Wow. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) I feel like I lost my train of thought, but, um, so if it's not like crossing a line like that, there is not a lot that can be done. Um, it's just, it's really, really sad. I mean, they just do not have the resources to chase down all of this stuff they, they just don't, um, they're really not going to be interested, but on our website, we do have links to organizations where you can report, um, images of child sexual abuse, um, or online predators. Um, you don't want to be like saving any images onto your own devices that, um, that is illegal. You don't want to do that, but you can, you know, um, get the username, get the link to their profile or to the website or whatever it is. And you can go online and you can report it through there. Okay. Um, you won't necessarily getting anyone porting anything back, but if it was a situation where you had a predator luring your child that's a situation you would want to bring it to your local to police department. A lot of them, they're connected to like an internet task force that it usually covers, you know, a regional area and they might refer you to someone like that. But um, it's really hard. We have to do the research to understand the apps that we're letting our kids on and Mm -hmm. what are the restrictions that we can put on them to keep them safe. Um, Because it's just, it's just one of those things. There's just so many loopholes where, you know, things can be changed. I almost feel like this could be something that a parent and a child could turn into like, um, this is, this might be a little bit idealistic, but, but turn into like just a, a fun, uh, detox of the day. Like, let's look at our phones and see what we did on our phones today and, and just kind of make it like a connected activity. Like 
what, what have you been up to on your phone today? Let me see, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. it it just like, as, as you were sharing some, some of, some of these new things that are happening, these new trends that are happening that are horrifying. I, I feel like we can't stay on top of those, but we can stay connected to our kids. And that, that is probably the only, um, the best defense that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, we can do a lot to protect them and put protections in place. But at the end of the day, it's, it's like you said earlier, it's really about letting them know that, that you're there for them. And so if we maybe kind of incorporate this technology time into our, into our regular connected parent child time, maybe that will help us. I don't know. I don't know. What yeah, no, I is. think, I think trying to be on the same page with them is great. And also too, I mean, we have Apple devices in our house. So Apple has, um, parental screen time where you set up child accounts and you link them to your child's phone. And, uh, we can set a downtime where all, they have access to no apps, or you can choose mm-hmm. what apps you want them to be able to access all the time. Mm-hmm. And it also tells you, you know, when did they first pick up their phone? What apps were they on? How long were they on those apps? And you can also restrict, um, you know, ability to download new apps. Oh, good. So, you know, there are some things we can do, but I I will tell you firsthand, my oldest figured out how to hack it and she won't tell me how, but she's, (laughs) I don't know if she did like multiple hard shutdowns, but if she really wanted access to her apps, she was able to do a hard shutdown and reset parental control. So again, yeah, that's (laughs) they're smarter than we are. That's, that's how it feels like there's always going to be some new evolution. And so, so like doing there's always some risk. yourself, right? Yeah. There's always going to be some risk. It's not foolproof. So if we think we set some, you know, iron, iron lock and key kind of thing set up and they can't break it. Like, again, remember that you're vulnerable, right? Right. Oh yes. <laughs> Going right back to that. Like always remember we're vulnerable in this. That is such good advice. Oh, thank you. I feel I feel like you've given me a lot of new things I've never heard and a lot of, uh, additional insight into things I have heard. I really appreciate this. Is there, is, is there anything else or what's your biggest takeaway for parents? Yeah, I think it's really just important to remember, you know, that we're always learning that, you know, to be always be open to learning new things. And, and, you know, as, as human beings, you know, questioning ourselves, are we doing, you know, not that we good parents, I think we do that all the time anyway, but just, you know, kind of putting, you know, strategy into how we parent our kids, because, you know, the days and the weeks and the years just go by, you know, and sometimes it's like, oh, my gosh, like, did I do what I wanted to do as a parent, but you know, just, you know, kind of looking at it as a parenting culture, Mm -hmm. and that this isn't just about quote, unquote, keeping kids safe, this is also about changing the culture for our world so that, you know, we raise another generation of kids that are more respectful, more empathetic, more open to the realities of the world than we are, you know? And I think with social media and access to information, you know, it's so much easier to do that. Um, Encouraging kids to learn about things that are going on in the world so that they see it's not just about them, but that you know, the way they live their life and their interactions that they have with other people affects their life and, and, you know, in, in future generations. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And that can help us be those cycle breakers that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. Well, thank you so much, Adrian, for being here. Um, I want to put your, um, your information in at the link in my bio. So listeners can go check that out and see you and, um, tell us where they can find you. Yep. So the website is the mama bear effect.org and we're primarily on Instagram, um, Facebook and TikTok. Okay, great. And I'll put all those links in my bio so people can find you. So thank you so much. Thank you again so much for being here. And I, this has been so empowering and so helpful. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this conversation today. I hope it was empowering to you and you feel confident in moving forward in this really important work. I wanted to let you know that Adrian has so generously offered my listeners a code to get the Mama Bear Effect Rock the Talk Parent Pack shipped to you for free. It is a 
pack of information that is really, really helpful. It was sent to me before this episode and it had information in it that I had never heard before. So I hope that you'll take advantage of this. The code is all caps pause connect and I will put the link to where you can get that in my show notes. So run over and get that right now. Thank you so much for pausing and connecting with me today. Your support seriously means the world to me. If you found this episode helpful, I want you to know I have countless other resources for you to find more connection in your motherhood and life. Head to my website, rebeccabrownwright.com to check out my blog, check out my back and forth journal for parents and kids, and take a look at Pause and Connect Academy where you can find courses to help you stop yelling, find your strengths, and finally get your kids to listen to you. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a positive review, sharing it on social media, or sharing with your friends. I love you, and I want you to thrive in your motherhood and life. Thank you for being here. Now go forth and connect.